0: All right, well, hey, everybody, good morning. So good to see all of you here, everybody who made it in the house on this rainy day, and everybody who stayed inside. I'm um, just glad that you're choosing to be with us uh, from your homes or wherever you're watching from. Just glad that you are joining us here. And again, my big prayer is that I know God wants to have a moment with you, and I'm praying that, that you've had a moment with Him so far, and that continues uh, through the rest of our service today. Uh, so let's get to it. If, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open them up to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis Six uh, Today, uh, we're going to talk about one of the most familiar stories of the Bible, which is Noah and the ark. Noah and the ark. Now, you're getting there to Genesis 6 because this is such a familiar story. We're going to have to do a little work here in the front, because uh, when I say Noah, right, when I say Noah... What a lot of you do is, is this is not a, an adult story for most of us. This is like a, uh, a bedtime story that we tell our kids where it's like the animal's two by two and there's no with the old bird on his shoulder and, ah, oh, there's a rainbow, isn't that beautiful? And uh, we kind of package this as a great kid's story, but it's actually a terrifying story, everybody, okay? so. Let me do this before we get into it. Okay? Let me get let me let me give you the story really quick and then we'll get into it. Okay? So everybody ready? Snuggle up. Get your old blanket ready. Okay? Ready? Here we go. All right, once upon a time, the world became so wicked that God sent the biggest, most catastrophic flood ever that flooded the entire world and it killed everybody. Everybody? Everybody was killed except Noah and his family, they got on a boat and they were on a boat for a year with all these animals and all these smells and each other and they were getting really tired of each other uh, until one day the, the flood went down and they got on land and then Noah got drunk and they found him naked in his tent and then he cursed his son for the rest of his life. And then God said, I'll never ever flood the earth again. Night, night. That's not what's on the felt board, everybody, but that's the story, that's the story. All right, so let's get to Noah, okay, let's get to Noah. Uh, So we are taking a huge jump here as we are going through God's story uh, from Adam to Noah. So last week we were with God and Adam and Eve, and now uh, we have Noah. And so Noah is about 10 generations away from Adam. We're about a thousand years after Adam. And so if you're kind of looking for a year, uh, most people would agree, this is about the year 3000 BC or so. Uh, And so let me get us caught up here in the happenings between Adam and Noah, okay? So in Genesis four, what we see is we see Adam and Eve have their first kids. They have twins, Cain and Abel. And isn't that so nice, right? And so they come into this amazing world, right? Think about new opportunities. Uh, There's not even a lot of people on it. It's an introvert's dream, right? I mean, you could just land upon land and then Cain murders Abel. That's that story. Then, the next guy that comes onto the scene that's talked about is a guy named Lamech, all right? Lamech comes in about the end of chapter four, he's uh, Cain's great, 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 or great, 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 I can't uh, remember, grandson, all right? And the first thing that you see about Lamech is this. It's in verse 19. It says, Lamech uh, married two women, one named Ada and the other named Zillah. That's the first thing you see about him. So, this is not God's direction, just so you know, like that, we sometimes we get a little mixed up on that with, with good, there, there's nowhere in the Bible where, where you will see God say, hey, I want you to have more than one husband, more than one wife. Uh, you'll never see that. Now, it happens, it happens even with God's people, but it's not God's direction, okay? So Lamech has two wives, and then the next thing you see is he murders someone as well, okay? So that's chapter four. And then chapter five is a genealogy. It goes from Adam all the way to Noah, okay? So here's where we're at from Adam to Noah. We've got uh, sin, murder, polygamy, murder, Noah. You tracking? All right, we're tracking. All right, that is not a good path we're on right now, everybody. Hint, hint. This might have something to do with a certain something that's about to happen, okay? Uh, so, so now we're caught up. We're in chapter six with Noah. But wait. Uh, there's something else and we can't get to Noah right away. So if you go into chapter six, in the beginning of chapter six, after the genealogies, it's very strange because before we get to Noah, uh, we are introduced to two characters here uh, that seem to come from out of nowhere. But for Moses, who's writing this, and the Israelites who are are being told this, uh, it's it's not as vague for them. uh, And they kind of know what he's talking about because it's so matter of fact without a lot of description. But what we have is we have the sons of God and then we have, the Nephilim, which means giants. They come into the scene. Now, we really don't know much more than this. There's a few other places in the Bible, and Job, and some other places that talk about uh, these characters, uh, but but, so there's not a lot, and there's a lot of debate on on who or what these are. There really is, and I've dug into this. I find it very fascinating, and we've had a great discussion on this in our home group, and uh, so I kind of have an opinion on what I think is happening, and, and you see a couple things about them, but Here's why I believe this is here. This is why I believe that, that this is here in the beginning of chapter 6. First, we need to see that whatever or whoever they are, they were different than us. They were obviously different than us. Uh, and the people of Moses' time, I think, knew exactly who they were because it was almost so matter of fact, like, yeah, 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 I know the Nephilim. And it even says they're around then and they're still around. They're still around after that. So I think they're like, yep, I know the Nephilim. But what I believe this is doing for us, again, we're looking at God's big picture, uh, is I think what it's doing is continuing the progression of things going wrong. All right, so if you look uh, at that with along with chapter four uh, and what's about to happen with the flood, it's all pointing to the same thing, which is God basically saying, "Hey, things weren't just a little bad; it's off the rails." It's off the rails with mankind. And we'll get into that in a sec, but uh, that's why I think that that's there in the story. It's just continuing the progression of things going wrong. Uh, okay, so let's read about it. We're gonna be in Genesis 6, 5. So we're gonna kind of get caught up and this is what's going on in Noah's day, all right? It says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm unsettled. I'm a, it is unsettling to read that God regretted making mankind, that he regretted making us, and that he's about to destroy people with his judgment. And so here's my guess. My guess is I'm not the only one that is kind of troubled by that, or that, that just finds that a little unsettling. And so here's what I wanna to say to you. If you read things in the Bible that you come across like this, if you come across this, or if you've, this is the first time you've seen it, and, and look at God's judgment here that's about to happen, and you feel, uh, unsettled by it, or if you feel opposition to to what you read, or, or that you're just having a hard time with it, here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to tell you. If you feel that way, there's nothing wrong with how you feel with how your heart has been made by God. Like, I think that's right on with how God actually made you to be. And And here's what you need to know along with this. This is really important to understand. You see, you're not the only one that feels that way. In fact, there's somebody else who not only feels the same way you do, but is even more heartbroken and more bothered than we ever will be. So I want to show this to you really quick. We're gonna jump back to verse five and I emphasize a few words so that we can see this. Let's read this again, it says, all right, the Lord so God saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. That is for real, one of the top five worst verses I've ever read in the Bible. That's terrible to read. And and what this is saying, gang, we got to catch this, that no one is passing. That's not even the best way to say it. Everyone is failing. Everyone is failing. And God's seeing this. And here's the thing. So what is God's response to that? Where we miss it is we immediately jump to God's judgment, but that is not what his response is. His response is at the end of verse six, which says that his heart was deeply troubled, that his heart was even, the ESV translation says it grieved him to his heart. That's what it says, don't miss that. You can't miss that. So if you're having a hard time with what's about to happen with God's judgment with this, I want you to see how God's doing with this. He's not doing so good. He's more upset than you. And and here's what I wanna put forward uh, with you, wherever you are with um, thinking of God's judgment. Um, Here's what I wanna say. The lack of any judgment, like if there's no judgment at all, that's the least loving thing that could ever happen. If there's no judgment at all, that's the least loving thing. Now, come with me. We're gonna drop down and see why I just said that, okay? We're gonna drop down to verse 11 if you're in your Bibles, and this is gonna show us what evoked God's judgment, okay? Uh, And it tells us really clearly in verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Why? It was full of violence. It was full of violence. In fact, the word corrupt actually had to do with destruction. That's what it meant. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. It was, they were destroying their ways. They were destroying themselves. So violence had gotten to a place where it was so bad that people were just destroying themselves. That's what violence does. We know this, right? And this is God's response to it. His heart is broken over it because it's not right and he has to do something about it. And here's the thing, you believe that too. You believe that too. Let me let me explain. If you so so, let's look at like just things you're not bothered by, right? Like if you see a fish eat a minnow, eh, okay, or a lizard eat a cricket, right? Like we're okay with that, right? If you watch like let's get let's take it a step further. If you watch like shows on the safari. Right? You root for animals. Don't say you don't. You know you do. And you'll root for the gazelle and the lion, depending on who is like featured, right? Like, so if the gazelle is featured, you know you're sitting there going, run, 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 run. Yes, yes whoo, right now, but but if the next episode shows these little starving lion cubs and they're gonna die, and the mom lion is like looking and looking and looking, you know, you're like, there's, there's a gazelle, there's a gazelle, go get go the get gazelle, feed those cubs, feed them, yeah, you got it, right? Like, you know, you do that, don't say you don't, right? We're okay with that. My point is we're okay with that, why? It's natural. It is natural to nature, but when you see violence with people, you're not okay with that. You're not all right with that. When you see like heinous, senseless killing of people, we don't say, "Ah, eh, it's just nature, why? Because we're different, everybody. We're not the same and our value is not the same. And gang, God cannot turn a blind eye to that. He can't do it and he doesn't. And I'm telling you, and, and I actually think it's kind of ironic because the same people who look around today and look at things like that and say, man, wh- how come God doesn't do anything about that, right? The same people who look on what God did do about it back and they're like, man, he's so cruel for doing something about that. It's just ironic, I find, a little ironic, but, but here's the thing, man. Uh, it, it, I'm telling you, without judgment, without judgment, we're left with a God who leaves everything up to us and that is not a good God, everybody, okay? He does something about it and we're gonna talk about it here, okay? Now here's a word that really bothered me, regret. Is it bother anybody when you came across that? That bothered me. And I struggle with that word. Like I, I actually sat in my office for a while just studying over that. And I, I, went, I read seven commentaries on it. And I'm not telling you that to say that I'm super well-read. You, you've heard me enough to know I'm not. But I did it because I was so bothered by it. And so I went to it and again, that's what you need to do too. Like if you're only getting everything from me, that's not a good game plan for your faith, okay? I'm just saying there's a lot of people out there that are way smarter than me uh, and know God a little bit differently than I do from, from the, you know, the theological standpoint. But I, one of the commentaries I came across is Matthew Henry. And this helped me, I'm just gonna, I have it up there for us. And here's what he says about God's reaction and, and, and the word regret. And this is gonna sound a little old English because he, he lived in like 1700s, okay? So here's what it says. The words here used are remarkable that he regretted. They are used after the manner of men. So it's like they're trying to attach human emotion to God, even though God's not human. Uh, and, And so it doesn't mean though that God can change or be unhappy. So that's not what we're reading. Now listen to this. Does God thus hate our sin? And shall not we be grieved to the heart for it? Oh, that we may look on him who we have grieved and mourn. Now listen, God repented that he made man, but we never find him repent that he redeemed man. Now that last sentence really grabbed me gang and it helped me a little bit because here's the truth. No matter how you see what those words say, you are here today because of one thing, he never gave up on us. God. We have a God who said, I'm gonna do something about it and I'm never gonna give up on you. He didn't give up, you're here because he decided to save us instead of eradicate us, okay? So let's see where Noah comes in. And I hope you're starting to see this is not a story about Noah. This is not a story about it. We're gonna get to know, and we're gonna see some incredible things and things that we can learn. But this is a deeper story than a man who built a boat. Okay, this is why we have this story here. So, okay, we're gonna back up to verse eight. All right, back up to verse eight. Uh, and so all this violence, all this corruption is going on. And we're gonna see in verse eight what it says. It says, all right, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If you have your Bibles and you're, you're an underliner or a circler, I would I'll underline or highlight the word favor, the word favor. This is a great word. So here's what I found interesting as I read this. So here's what the word favor means in the original language. It actually means grace. It means grace. So here's the neat thing, you can make a little note. This is the first time the word grace shows up in the Bible just found that kind of interesting to know. Uh, And and here's what we gotta catch with this because the next verse tells us a little bit about Noah and we kind of mess up like why Noah got rescued by God because it says that Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless uh, among all of his peers and he walked faithfully with God. But here's what we need to catch. Before any of that, God's favor came on him first. Do you see that? Which means God gave Noah grace. And here's what this shows us. It shows us uh, that Noah wasn't righteous on his own. He wasn't righteous. God put grace on a man who was part of this evil and corrupt world, everybody. He was just as much a part of it as anybody else. And I'm going to tell you, this recipe has never changed. God's grace by faith. God's grace comes to us. God didn't save Noah because he was righteous. Noah became righteous because he received God's invitation of grace, and he received it. Okay? So... Let's go through this, all right? God says, hey, Noah, yes, you need to make a boat. I'm gonna do the next two chapters like this. You may need to make a boat, uh, I'm flooding the earth. And Noah says, okay. And then God tells him, hey, how you build it, right? Get cypress wood and this many cubits high and wide and put a door on it, get a roof on it and all that stuff. And I'm flooding the earth. And Noah goes, okay. Uh, how, how long did it take Noah to build the ark? That's a question a lot of people ask. We don't know exactly. That's the answer. If anybody tells you how long it took and they don't, the, the Bible does not say. Now, what we do know is that Noah was 500 years old in Genesis 532 when he had his kids. And then the next age we see is that he was 600 when he entered the boat. Okay, so 100 years went by, but it doesn't say it took him that long to actually build the boat. We don't know. Scholars think it's between 50 and 100 years. We don't really know, okay? So then God goes, all right, no, you gotta you gotta bring two kinds of every animal, two kinds of birds, and you gotta bring enough food to feed them all because I'm flooding the earth. And Noah goes, okay. And so Noah starts building and building and building. We're a little and then then one day he's done, and God says, okay, Noah, get your seasickness wristbands ready. Cruise is starting right so. Uh, And here's what he says in chapter seven, verse four. All right, he's saying, this is God talking. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. All that the Lord had commanded him, okay? So all the animals got on board, right? Like everybody's getting there. Uh, And then in verse 13, do we have verse 13? starts, verse 13 is the next one. Oh yeah, on that day, Noah and his son, Shem, Ham, and Yepheth, that's the best I got, together with his wife and the wives of the three sons entered the ark. All right, so they're getting in, all the animals on there and it's rolling, All right, So how many animals were on the boat? Here's how many animals were on the boat. There were 45,144 animals on the boat. So how do we get to that number? because I just made it up. I don't know how many animals were on the boat. How many of you wrote that down? I don't know. I have no idea. Like, we don't know. There's a lot. Here's my answer. A lot. There are a lot. A boat full is my answer, okay? So you can read. It says seven kinds of every clean animal, then one pair of every other kind of animal, and then seven uh, pairs of birds. I don't know. That's what it says. That's all we, we see. So rain comes, flood hits. Now they're in it, right? And they were on this from what people believe for about a year. Let me say that again. They were on the boat for about a year, that's a long time to be on a boat with a bunch of animals. So it rains 40 days, flood stays for a year. And then after a year, uh, here's what we see. Chapter eight, verse one, it says this, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now I find this really neat with like chapter one, that like in the beginning God created and then the spirit of God hovered over the face. You know, I just think about that a little bit. Uh, and the waters receded. Uh, and so anyways, like finally the landscape comes back in, like they're oh, all, man, there's land. Uh, and then the next verse, uh, we're gonna drop down to 15. It says, then God said, no, hey, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Here's my question. How fast are they moving to get off that thing, everybody? Like they're stiff-arming their wives to get off that thing and you know it. They're, who wants to be the first to touch feet on the ground? Could you imagine? Can you, I'm just trying to put you there for a second. Imagine being on a boat for that long. Can you imagine what they're saying? Like, man, as soon as I get on dry land, I'm gonna fill in the blank, right? Fill in the blank. I'm gonna do whatever. What'll be the first thing you do? What'll be the first thing that you do? We see the first thing that Noah does. is pretty neat. Here's the first thing that Noah does on verse 20. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So we see... Noah's first response to being stuck on a boat for 365 days is that he worships God. I find that really fascinating because of this. Think about everything going on in his mind. Think about all the organization that he's trying to get figured out. Think about everything that's happening and all the stuff that he hasn't had a chance to do in over a year. Because here's what you need to catch you see, worshiping God was an ability he had on the boat, but yet it was still the first thing he did when he got on land. You catching that? I just find that beautiful when was the last time that your first response was, God, I'm going to worship you? I want to worship you in this moment, in this triumph, in this pain, in this circumstance. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get on my knees. I'm going to worship you right now. Find that interesting. Let's finish this out. Let's go, we're going to jump to chapter 9, verse 12. It says, all right, and God said, Hey, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbows appear in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Okay, so, so that's kind of the story of Noah. That's kind of where we go and, and what happened. And, and we're kind of in this, this reboot uh, of mankind in God's story. So uh, let's land the plane here for a few minutes with w- what time we got. And I, I do want to look at Noah for a second. Hopefully you understand this isn't a story about Noah, but I think we can still take some things from Noah as well. Uh, so if, you're, if you got your notes there, go ahead and grab those, get those out. Uh, we're gonna learn three things that I think are pretty uh, uh, good for us to understand about Noah that we can look at in our own life lives. And instead of going to the whole Genesis account, uh, in Hebrews 11, uh, there's an awesome summary of Noah. Uh, and we're going to go to that. It's in Hebrews 11:7 to kind of help us get there with these three things. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11:7, And this is in the NLT. It says this, that it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. He warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So three things in here and three things in the Genesis account that I find that stuck out to me about Noah. And here's the first thing, if you're taking notes, that stuck out to me about Noah is that Noah wasn't afraid to stand out. Noah wasn't afraid to stand out. Said that by faith, that Noah condemned the rest of the world. That, that means that he is not living the same way that the world is living. Now, what this also doesn't mean, everybody, when it says that he condemned the rest of the world, it didn't mean that he's out there yelling at everybody and being like, you're going to hell and doing all that. That's not what he was doing. In fact, here's all this meant. This is all this meant. Uh, he was just living like the world wasn't living. He was just saying yes to God. Do you realize? I don't know if you think about this, but I thought about this. you realize that all it takes to just stand out is just by living the way that God tells you to live? That's all it takes. It doesn't even take a word. All it takes to stand out is just by living like God tells you to live. Most of the time, uh, if you want to make a difference for God, it's usually in spite of the culture around you, not uh, because of it. Another way that I saw it put is this. The reason why a lot of us don't make much difference in the world is because we're not different. You catching that? Reason why a lot of us aren't making much difference for God is because we're not that different than the world. So here's a question. So each one of these, I have a question for us to ask. And it's just, I just, I'm asking this to myself. Here's the one, am I any different? Am I looking any different? Listen, it is not easy to live for God these days. And here's what I'm gonna tell you. If you think it's really easy, then you're probably bypassing a lot of things. It's just not, it's getting hard, it's not getting easier. It's getting harder and harder to live for God. Courtney and I are finding that out. We found that out in our marriage. Uh, and then when kids came, uh, especially now when they're getting older, man, I'm telling you, it, it comes really clear when we're, how we're parenting our kids. Cause man, listen, sometimes we say no to things that a lot of folks don't say no to, and it looks weird. It looks different. It looks different. And, and we're valuing things that culture just would not value over doing other things. And we're not perfect at it, but we're, we just wanna be different. We wanna live for God as best we can, and it looks different, and if it does, everybody, so be it, so be it if it looks different. Hey, we can't be afraid to stand out. Anybody wanna say okay to that? We cannot be afraid to stand out. Here's a second thing that stuck out to me is that Noah was faithful to take the first step. Noah was faithful, think about that, wasn't he? So what I didn't say, and what you might not know, is rain never happened, ever. Like so, it, God's telling him stuff is happening. that I mean, it's crazy. Like, so he's faithful to take the first step. So it says that Noah, in Hebrews 11, it says, Noah obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. That's what it says. So I don't know if you've noticed this uh, when you read the Bible and about God and how he gets people to do things or tells people that they're gonna do it, but he has a track record of asking people to do things they've never done before and never seen happen before. That's like a track record of God. So just know for this for you. Uh, that, that when God wants you to do something, a lot of times you're gonna have, he's gonna ask you to do something with a lot of unknowns. There are gonna be a lot of unknowns, okay? But you cannot let, I've never done it and I don't see the, the end of it, to stop you from doing what you know God is telling you to do. You catching that? So here, here's a question that I wanna ask here. Here it is. What's a step that God's already asked me to do? What's a step that I know God wants me to take? I think that's a really good open-ended question to ask myself. So I feel like God wants uh, to speak to someone in here today, maybe a lot of you in here today. God's given you a word in your life. He's given you a step to take. And you're waiting for something to happen. But I'm here to tell you that something has already happened. He's given you that word, and you gotta step out in faith. You've gotta take that step, so we need to take a step. Here's the third thing, here's the third thing, is this, is that Noah endured. Noah endured. So uh, when you go back and read this, when you, when you read Genesis and when you go back to Hebrews, you're gonna see one thing repeat over and over and over about Noah. And it's this phrase, Noah obeyed God. Noah obeyed God. That was me saying him just going, okay, okay. But he, he obeyed him and he obeyed him and he just kept walking in obedience. And I don't think we appreciate this uh, until we really see how long it took this whole thing to pan out with Noah. Like, again, we're looking 50 to 100 years of this, like doing it. And, and like, I don't know, man, that's just crazy. Like, don't you think if God asked you to do something that maybe after a month or two, you'd be like, come on, rain, like, you know, you know you would. Like, you know, 50 years, that's amazing to me. So here's the thing that sticks out to me and that I wanna be challenging in my own faith when it comes to this, here it is. It's not the initial yes that proves my faith, it's in the follow through. Right, faith isn't proven until there's follow through, and so here's sort of what I want to say with this. Here's here's just a question again. I think it's open ended. Is my faith following through? Is my faith following through? Momentary obedience. I'm just going to here to tell you, and I've done it many times in my life. It's easy. A lot of people can do momentary obedience. A lot of people can do that, but. Faith is proven in the follow-through. That's what I'm telling you. Faith is proven in the follow-through. And it's because, gang, and I say this all the time, and some of you still want me to do this. Like, you want me to get up here and get the guilt gun out and go guilt, 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 and make you feel bad about something so you'll kind of do something. That's never gonna sustain itself. And I try to tell you that all the time. And I think some of you still wanna just feel guilty. Guilt is not the power of faith. Listen to me, faith is never ever powered by guilt, but it is powered by God's grace on you and his love for you, regardless of what you are and who you are and what you've done. He's like, no, 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 I'm gonna put my grace on you just like I did for Noah, who was a part of this evil and corrupt world. And then it's through obedience because of God's grace and saying yes, even when it doesn't make sense. That's when faith comes through, everybody. Anybody say amen to that? That's when faith comes through. Momentary obedience is easy. People who don't even really believe in God that much do momentary, they'll pray. Come on, man, we're better than that, amen? We're better than that. So my faith falling through. So one more thing that I got, I got four minutes. Okay, let's go. One more thing that I got, I'm gonna try to be like Chad, that's my new year resolution, and be like 28 minutes with an amazing message It sounds like it's 50 minutes. Anyways, here's the crazy thing. I'm not gonna make it today. Here's a crazy thing about the fall, I'll try it better next time. The flood, here's the thing, we, we gotta catch this. The flood points us to a pattern, uh, but it wasn't the solution to the problem, okay? Let me get me us there because here's what happened on the ark. We know a couple things about the ark, right? We know what went on the ark with Noah, right? We know uh, animals went on the ark with Noah, right? We know that. And so that's one thing that went on the ark. And we know the other thing uh, was people, So there were seven other people that got on the ark. with So there were eight people, there were animals and there was food and all that stuff. But but there was something else that was on the ark that, that we miss sometimes. There was another thing on the ark and it's this, there was sin then got on the ark with Noah, okay? So, so what's God showing us with the flood? Here's what he's showing us. He's showing us that even a catastrophic reboot of mankind still doesn't fix the problem that we have. So even wiping out all the bad guys doesn't fix our problem, okay? So through the flood, God is saying, the solution is not you getting better, it's my son getting killed. You catching that? That's what he's saying. And so in comes Jesus. In comes Jesus. And so hints of Jesus are all over this story. They're all over this story. Cause like Noah, Jesus will prepare himself for a catastrophic event that if anybody says yes and receives it will rescue mankind. Think about it. And like Noah, Jesus will obey God in every step. He will obey him blindly in every step and through his obedience he will give the invitation of salvation with his death on the cross, right? And just like the ark saved Noah from his family, think about this, when they got on board, what did the boat do? It lifted them up out of the catastrophe, right? Just like that, Jesus' death and resurrection, you see, if you receive it, will lift you up out of the condemnation of the sin of man, which is death. He'll lift you up out of that if you choose to receive it. If you trust and surrender your life to the finished work of the cross of Jesus, he's all over the story. He's all over it. Grace through faith. Grace through faith. It's the only way that you're gonna get there. It's the only way that you're gonna be made right with God. It's the only way to heaven. It's the only way that it'll work. It's recognizing your life and the sin that is in you. And it's like a virus, everybody. It's like a virus. And the solution to it is a non-you solution. It's realizing I cannot be the solution. It's believing and receiving forgiveness through the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross. God in the flesh to make you right with your heavenly father. It's awesome. It's an amazing thing. And here's the good news. This is good news. It's a free gift. It's a free gift, but you need to receive it. It's kind of like if you were in Noah's day, right? If you were in Noah's day and you saw the big boat. Right? And you're like, yeah, see it, it's, it's right there. It's right there, but you gotta get on the boat in order to be rescued from the flood. You see what I'm saying? And that's the same thing that we have to do with Jesus and what he did on the cross. You need to surrender your life. You need to turn your life over to him. So here's what I will say, it will cost you something. It's a free gift, it will cost you something. It costs you your life. And to say, no, no, I'm gonna not live for me anymore. I'm gonna live for God. I'm gonna say yes to him and I'm gonna follow through because of Jesus and what he did for me. And so if you're here and you've never done that, I wanna give you an opportunity to receive God's salvation today, okay? I just wanna give you a moment. If you've never done that, I just feel like this is an an incredible opportunity that God wants to have for you through this story of Noah, and then it points right to Jesus and his death and resurrection. So I'm gonna close this in prayer. Uh, And so if all of you could uh, close your eyes, bow your heads with me, and I'll just give you a minute just to let God in for a minute. Thank you for the story. Thank you for the story of Noah and his faith. And the reminder to us about the choices that we make to make a difference in this world, to say yes to you and live in obedience out of you, have a follow through in our faith. And, and I pray that we can help uh, see, that you help us see the choices that we need to make to, to keep saying yes to you. And uh, right now, there are some of you uh, here or maybe watching, and, and the choice that you need to make right now is what I just talked about. You need to choose to give Jesus your life, you need to choose to make Jesus your savior. And so if you're ready to do that and you've heard what I just talked about, what God says through his word clearly, and you've never received that, I'm gonna help you pray this prayer in your heart right now. And here's what you could do. Just, you could pray this to help you have a moment where you know that you received God's salvation. You can say, God, I admit my sin to you this morning. And my sin separates me from you. And I cannot get right on my own. And so I look to Jesus you say that Jesus came to rescue me from that with his death on the cross. And so I received that. I believe that Jesus Christ came to die for my sin and to forgive me and make me right with you. Today, I accept your gift. I surrender my life. I leave my life of sin and I live for you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. God, thank you. Thank you that we're here for a reason. Thank you that, that we have this amazing story that you gave us, that we need you, we love you. Help us find real purpose with this message of Jesus Christ who is so real in our lives that we feel him here today. In Jesus' name, we all pray and say, amen, amen. All right, everybody. Hey, if you just pray that prayer, come talk to me. Come find me or Chad or Blair. We'd love to get you the next step. Hey, don't forget tonight, six o'clock, night of worship. We'll see you then. Don't miss it. See you next time.